We all have multiple pieces that make up who we are. Understanding those pieces and how they exist in the world can be a powerful practice of self-exploration. When we delve into learning about who we are, we better understand how we think, feel, and exist in the world. In this episode, we're going to take a closer look at what intersectionality is and how you can use it to cultivate mental wellness for yourself and others. Hi, I'm Dr. Shana. I'm a mental health counselor, educator, and advocate, and I'd like to wish you a warm welcome to the mental wellness practice. This is a place for you to learn about mental health, including key statistics, tips, and skills. I hope that you're able to take away practical information from this episode and use it to plant seeds for your future. If you appreciate what you hear, follow, like, leave a comment, or share this episode with a loved one. For more free educational content, you can connect with me on Instagram at Dr. Shayna or check out the show notes for additional resources. If you have any questions, you're welcome to contact me at drshana.com. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only. And if you're struggling with a mental health problem, please seek professional help. Thanks for learning and growing with me. The term intersectionality sprouted from Kimberly Crenshaw's work within civil rights. She worked to illuminate not only the different pieces of who we are, but also how they exist and are received in the world. An intersectional lens can be used to uncover bias, its roots, its effects at the individual level, but it can expand into a systems perspective as well. To quote her own words, Intersectionality is a prism to bring light to dynamics within discrimination that weren't being appreciated by the courts. When it comes to mental health, intersectionality helps to not only understand the pieces of who you are, but how those parts show up in the world, knowing that we are connected and influenced by one another, paying attention to our beliefs, biases, emotions, and experiences can help us to navigate healthier lives. We might unlock validation for our challenges or even a sense of empowerment to support mental health, starting with your own and potentially branching into your community. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to know your pieces. We're going to break this down into three phases, identification, exploration, and interaction. Phase one, identification. If possible, I suggest you explore this with a piece of paper, maybe a few, and a writing utensil. An electronic device will work if that's your preference. And I know that some of you are multitasking. You're driving, you're working out, you're running errands, all the things, and that may not be doable in this moment. But you may want to pause and give yourself time to reflect as you listen through or come back to the episode later so you can actually do the activity part of it. This episode is a little bit more practical, um, that it guides you through in a way that's different from our approach previously. This approach though, is the type of approach that really inspired me to make the mental wellness practice podcast. And this is the approach, the approach, this is the approach that I use much more often with my personal work, but with my clients and with my students as well. 
So I find it to be helpful to get, especially in a concept like intersectionality, when we start to explore it, it's really like you are zooming in and something that first of all, seemed like there was nothing there, or there was just a little speck there. You put it under the microscope and it gets so big and you realize how much is in it that it can be a little challenging to keep track of in a way. And if this is the first time for you that you are encountering the concept of intersectionality or the first time that you are delving deep into your personal intersections, then it can be a little overwhelming. So like I say a lot throughout these episodes, give yourself grace, space, and pace yourself. And also using something to kind of scribble on to keep track of what we're exploring will help for it to feel more trackable. (laughs) Um, We think we're keeping track of things when they're swirling around in our minds, but actually that keeps it a little bit more messy. So keep all of that in mind. So far in this episode, you've heard me refer to pieces of you. What does that mean for you? Maybe there are aspects that come up immediately. It's obvious. I'm a student. I know I'm a parent. I'm American. Whatever the given thing is, some of it may be obvious and some of it may require a bit more digging. I want you to dig deep for as many pieces as you can find. I'm a really big fan of Hayes addressing model. I will link this in the show notes so you can refer back to it as a template, especially if you're drawing any blanks right now, but let's go through it together. So it's addressing, (laughs) I know I said that, but each letter represents an area that you can dig a little bit deeper into. A stands for age and generation, you know, personally, While I might not identify with my numerical age that much, I absolutely identify with a millennial. I am a quintessential millennial. Takes me a lot to move my side part to the middle. Both Ds represent disability status, one for developmental and one for acquired. This is the space that some people choose to note their mental health, by the way, and um, which do you put it under? It really doesn't matter, right? Because we're just trying to brainstorm here. But you can also see how that could be such a different meaning for someone. Some people do have both and they're distinct, a developmental disability as well as a disability that was acquired over time, maybe even recently. R is for religion. And in practice, I like to expand this into beliefs, faith, and spirituality. I find a lot of times, um, especially people who have struggled with religious upbringing or indoctrination before may already kind of X this out. But as we go on, you'll see why knowing a religion that you were raised in and where you are in your present beliefs, that that's actually still really meaningful information when it comes to your intersections. E is for ethnicity and race. And if you have any information about your background, this is that helpful place to note in terms of your ancestry. The first S is for socioeconomic status, and the second is for sexual orientation. The N is for national origin and language. And finally, G is for gender. These are by no means the only categories for your pieces, but I have found that when 
especially if you're drawing a blank, but even if you have some ideas, this is a nice framework to get you to a solid start. It helps you to expand your perspective and look for those pieces. Sometimes this exploration starts to feel very serious for folks and it can be a little bit stressful, especially if you're not used to exploring it this way. So, you know, copy and paste what I said earlier about grace, space, and pacing. Also, I think there's room for fun. So there are pieces of us that are combined to make you uniquely you and they get ignored a lot, but they are pieces of you. You know, never have I ever met a New Yorker who doesn't tell you they're from New York. I'm allowed to say this because I'm from New York and it'll always come around somewhere. I've noticed that, you know, it's been now half of my life that I'm in New York, half of my life out of New York. So it's less, but <laughs> most people will tell you immediately, New Yorkers, you know the deal. There's also sports teams, gosh, this is across the globe, but you know, the average American will tell you their favorite, you know, if they like sports at all, will tell you their favorite sports team and they'll tell you about how they're playing and their favorite, blah, 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 right? But especially when it's that season, that identity amplifies and it affects who we are. So some of you I know might be smiling along because you might think this is silly. Like how does, how is it possible to know that, you know, being a, Miami Heat fan is just as important as knowing my race or ethnicity. And it's not really that I am ranking these identities, but I'm trying to help you illuminate the different pieces of you that do matter for who you are. So keep that in mind. It's the obvious ones. It's the ones that are in the addressing model, but it's also your passions. And for those of you who are listening in with, you know, we want to have that mental health lens and maybe you considered it as part of the model earlier but if you haven't already having a mental health illness and a diagnosis even if it was from the past it's helpful to kind of look at that to see how these other intersections can affect it phase two exploration each piece carries rich information about you before we dig any deeper go ahead and arbitrarily choose one of your pieces. That way we can use that to explore this concept a bit deeper. Keep in mind that as we're going through these, you'll want to visualize them as a spectrum. And for those of you who are jotting down and doing this activity practically and not just reflecting on it, maybe you actually kind of map out a spectrum for each one. Maybe you even add a scale of one to 10 and that way you can gauge yourself where you stand on each. Ask yourself, is this piece new or is it long withstanding? Being a newlywed might be entirely different compared to someone who's celebrating their 40th anniversary. Some pieces of who we are can be rather consistent over time, but many pieces change. When that happens, the new piece doesn't just replace the older piece. We carry both. Someone who moved to a country at the age of 10 carries pieces of both their homeland and their new land. Someone who was raised religious and decided to go in another direction still carries a piece of what was in the past. Someone who was raised in a lower socioeconomic status but has since climbed the ladder also holds the memory and often the patterns of that earlier piece with them. 
Ask yourself, where does this piece of me lie on the spectrum of marginalization to privilege? This is where we often get into a challenging dynamic that you may hold an identity in a more neutral or higher regard even than it may be received in the world or vice versa, but usually the former. What type of power does this piece hold, if at all? What resources and social capital may this piece have, regardless of whether or not it's connected to you? My experience in higher education was a bit unique because I was told I didn't qualify for any minority fellowships because I was not a minority in education. Being forced to check that reductive box of Asian meant that somehow I wasn't a minority in education, whereas that box was way bigger than my actual identity. And I was definitely a minority, especially a first generation Guyanese American experience was like quintessential minority. Speaking of education, it's also a great example of how the spectrum of privilege to marginalization isn't just either or, and that it changes per context. So while I felt really marginalized in a wider view, I recognize that I also hold a privilege when it comes to being able to even access education. Ask yourself if this piece is unique or if it's connected. Is this piece specific to you? Maybe you're not the only person in the world with a specific piece, but it might feel isolating depending on your context. Being connected, on the other hand, means that there might be a group that this piece is connected to that has wider cultural norms, patterns, practices, and rules that maybe you adhere to or at minimum feel the pressure to conform to. Finally, ask yourself, is this identity visible or hidden? Is it apparent so you carry that with you and all of its implications, or is it hidden and you have to choose whether or not to share about this aspect of you. Phase three, interaction. All of your pieces interact with one another and sometimes they go together and in other times they conflict. This is often why someone gets pretty offended when someone points a finger at their privilege and because maybe in other ways that person may be experiencing marginalization. This is also why many folks don't acknowledge their marginalization. If they hold other pieces of privilege, perhaps several, they either want to attach to that or at least the world around them already puts them in that direction. I think about all of the people living with mental health illness and as much as I adhere to a strengths-based philosophy, I acknowledge that mental health is not a privilege. Yet, they may have some privileged identities the ability to walk, talk, go to school, work, buy food, etc. And when the world around us minimizes our marginalized identities, we can fall into the habit of doing the same minimization. Okay, so now you're familiar with your pieces, you've identified them, you've explored them, and you're ready to use an intersectional approach to better understand and improve your mental wellness. This can be done for any one piece but this is the mental wellness practice after all. So I'm going to encourage you to select the piece that pertains to your mental health. For many of us, this may be a diagnosis. For some, maybe it's the role of a client, patient, advocate, practitioner, learner, etc. 
I trust you to choose the right piece for you. Now let's move that piece into the center, like the middle of a daisy. The remaining pieces will be like the petals. Now explore one by one how these pieces interact. Ask yourself two questions for each assessment. What catalysts are found in this interaction and what obstacles exist in this interaction? Using this approach allows you to see the nuanced aspects of who you are. When you better understand who you are, that can better inform your healing. When you know this much about yourself, you can also communicate more about who you are, what your needs are and your objectives. And that includes advocacy. I know a lot of you are listening while multitasking, but I hope you do give yourself some time, including breaks as needed to come back and try this activity. I'll reiterate again, I do find this activity to be the most fruitful when you reflect on paper. It's really empowering to kind of separate these segments, move them apart and see that all these interactions are the lived interactions you experience on the day to day. You don't have to do this activity alone either. I do love doing this activity as a group activity. It allows you to get feedback from others and support too. Someone may shed a light on the interaction that you have that you may not have realized how that interaction exists in your life or how the world sees that interaction. And that can be really illuminating. Today you tuned in because you were curious to learn about how intersectionality can be used to cultivate mental wellness. I hope that this intersectional perspective helps you to better identify, explore, and cultivate mental wellness in your journey. If you found this episode helpful, don't forget to follow, like, leave a comment, or share this episode with a loved one. For more free educational content, connect with me on Instagram at drshana or reach out at drshana.com. You can also check out the show notes for additional resources. Remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only. And if you're struggling with a mental health problem, please seek professional help. Thanks for learning and growing with me.